You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is New York Times bestselling author and veterinarian surgeon, Dr. Nick Trout. And Nick's going to be talking to us today about his most recent release book, Dog Gone Back Soon, a novel. So I want to talk to Nick about that. Come talk to him a little bit about the title, too. Great title. So it's going to be a great show. Everybody just hang tight, though. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Dr. Nick Trout. After these messages, you're listening to Pet Life Radio, Animal Rights Show. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's dinner time in America, where more pet parents trust PetSmart for natural and expert recommended foods than any place else. And now, we've added more than 100 new varieties to our already wide selection of your favorite brands, like Simply Nourish, Authority, Wellness, Science Diet, and more. Do what's best for your pet. At PetSmart, happiness in store. Go to PetSmartDeal.com to find out this week's coupon code and save up to 30% on food, treats, toys, and more. And get free shipping on orders of $49. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is Nick Trout. Nick, welcome back to the show. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Congratulations again on all the great success. You're too kind. I don't know about that, but I certainly keep trying. Yeah, there you go. Just keep putting them out there. I'm sure your fan base is uh, quite huge by now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. I just think I got these stories, great stories about animals that I want to get out there. So I'm just going to keep churning away. There you go. Well, tell us about the latest book out. It's uh, Dog Gone Back Soon. Tell us about that book. Yeah, so this is the second book in this series. This is the sequel to The Patron State of Lost Dogs. It picks up literally right where the last one left off. But it's a standalone book. You can read it without uh, having to know all the details. It gets pretty much caught up to speed within the first chapter, but it's a story of this sort of uh, young, frustrated veterinarian who takes over his estranged father's practice in rural Vermont. And the thing that's a little off about this guy is that he's been trained as a veterinary pathologist. So he's very smart. He's a bright guy, but he's just not very good when it comes to handling people. And he's just not used to dealing with living sick animals. And so it creates an opportunity for a great deal of drama and conflict and entertainment and hopefully some heartwarming and hilarious stories as well. There you go. 
I've talked to you in the past about this, obviously, uh, with your background, your medical background, uh, being a uh, veterinarian surgeon, et cetera. How much of uh, life experiences do you pull from and loosely put in your books? We won't say uh, put them in your books because then somebody will want your royalties. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky to do the job that I do in which I get all this fabulous material walking through the doors every day. But you know, it's oftentimes, it's maybe not the happy ending you're looking for, or it's a fabulous animal story, but the owner was just very normal, very regular, and you want to create and inject a little conflict, a little excitement, a little tension, even a little romance. And so I'll take some aspects of what happens in the real world, and I'll kind of cherry pick, get the good stuff, and I'll bend the facts. And... That's been one of the nice things about this transition from nonfiction to fiction in that you can sort of take reality and turn it into something that is potentially far more entertaining. Yeah, exactly. Well, to expand on that, what do you find is some of the more challenging things that you encountered when writing fiction compared to like writing a memoir that you've done in the past? Yeah, Ooh. There are, there are a lot of things. The thing that really struck me, first of all, was the way that, you know, I'll create a character or I'll create a plot line. And it has to absolutely work. When it comes from total reality, I'm just finding a way to tell the truth in writing nonfiction. I know what works because it actually happened. Whereas in the world of fiction, I've got to, you know, I'm making it up in my head and I'll have people say, well, that wouldn't happen, or this guy with his background wouldn't have said that, or, or whatever. You know, it's all these real subtle details that I was fortunate to uh, Stein, who wrote The Art of Racing in the Rain, mm-hmm. looked at one of the drafts of one of my books, and he was wise to point out that if a certain person had been this age, they would not have graduated high school at that age, and this wouldn't have worked. And I I totally miss that kind of stuff. And that's what's, re- you know, it's, it's not just a superficial level of a story. These people have to be believable. You've got to have characters that people either like or dislike, they want to root for, or they want to despise or whatever. And so to do that, they've got to have substance and depth that works. And I found that for someone who's been trained as a scientist and an observer in my day job, this was a a whole new dimension of writing. And it's as fun as it is liberating as it is difficult. Exactly, because you've got to get those characters exactly right. And did you find any challenges writing the sequel, making sure you didn't miss anything that supposedly should be carried over yeah, from the original? Not so much. I mean, I just wanted to make sure that everybody had the same voice that they had in the first book, <laughs> you know, that they were. And that, wasn't, that really wasn't too difficult. I think it was actually a lot of fun to write this sequel because I really enjoyed writing from this character's perspective because I think he's, he's a, you know, it's, it's like James Herriot meets Dr. House. You know, he's got this aside to him that is being awed and won over by all the animals that he's involved with. And at the same time, he can be a little crabby and a little grouchy and but very smart at the same time. And so it's I was trying to really create this guy who was new and different and at the same time, at his core, was someone that you wanted to see succeed. Exactly. And so uh, the main character, uh, Dr. Cyrus Mills, does he have more stories in the future? Do you see this developing into uh, a continued series? 
I, I mean, I think that's going to depend on how popular it is, how many people want to hear more about what happens in the in this town of Eden Falls in rural Vermont. I've already put together a sort of plot line for a third book, so there's there's certainly an opportunity for that. I, to be honest, I'd love to see this become something like a TV series because I think it has it has great potential with this community feel and this combination of humor and drama in the way that the old BBC TV series or Creatures Great and Small Captures, you know, the James Harriet story. Right. I was I was trying to make a modern day version on that. Maybe a little bit more like James Harriet meets Twin Peaks. <laughs> I can see your tagline pitching it to the networks now. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and continue our conversation with Dr. Nick Trout, talk a little bit more about the book, Doggone Back Soon. So, everybody, hang tight. You're listening to uh, Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Dogs leave fur wherever they go. It collects all over the home. There are many tools designed to stop dog hair spreading, but their effectiveness varies, and afterwards you have to clean the tool, then the floor. With the Dyson Groom Tool, you simply deploy the bristles, then gently brush the coat. Loose fur is removed, while dead skin and allergens are captured by the vacuum. And to clean up, you simply release the trigger. To get this awesome Dyson Groom Tool, go to DysonDeals.com. That's DysonDeals.com. Hi, this is T.O.D. Anderson, and I'm the host of Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. We're going to talk about a variety of topics on canine behavior and training, all based on modern methods that are fun for you and your dog. We might be talking about other critters, too. So join us on Get Positive Results. We'll talk about common issues between you and your dog, answer your questions, discuss different activities you can do with your dog, and keep you posted on current canine news and products. All this on Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Nick Trout, talking about his latest book, Dog Gone Back Soon. Now, Nick, share with us a little bit some of the lessons that maybe that you have personally learned from the animals, either when writing the book or from your uh, day job practice. What are some lessons that you learned about the particular animals and maybe you could apply them to, uh, to the books that you write? Yeah, I think by far and away the biggest lesson I learned is that animals, be they cats, dogs, rabbits, whatever, these animals in our lives have the ability to slow us down. You know, we live in this crazy world in which we're connected to everyone. We'd rather put buds in our ears and chat on our phones than we would engage in meaningful conversations. And I love the way that animals just slow us down, make us simplify, and distill the essence of what matters down to very simple emotions. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about taking your dog for a walk and just enjoying the time together in the outdoors and thinking of sitting in a chair with a cat in your lap and uh, just chilling out and enjoying the connectivity between you. And it's, it's, to me, that's what I, do in, what I do in my day job is try to maintain that bond between other people. 
and that motivates me in my day-to-day work as a surgeon, and it motivates me in trying to convey what I think animals give us in writing. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and, and I think the trick is slowing down enough to recognize that. You know, humans in particular, we, uh, you know, we live in this fast-paced world. We seem to enjoy this fast-paced world where we would admit it or not and actually taking the time to slow down and be part of our animal's life and be part of what's going on in their world, whether you're out walking or whether you're at home. Uh, it's a difficult yeah, thing to do. It is, and I, but I think that the really nice thing is, is that there's so much positivity coming from animals. You know, they, they're living in the now. They're, they're enjoying life to the full. You know, there's no middle ground for them. They're giving everything. They're eating, you know, the Labrador is eating a reserve and vigor no matter what it is. The, the way that they greet you at the door, you think that you've been gone for a year. It's that amped up emotional exchange to the max, which makes me think that they've got this, you know, they're only here for a short period of time, but they've got this living down pat because they really go for it. They're really packing everything in. They're really trying to do everything they can to enjoy their time as best as possible. And I think that's, a, that's an important lesson to perhaps learn to take from them and say, you know, maybe they're doing life right and maybe we should be uh, trying to, to live life like they do. Absolutely. Live a dog's life is what I say. That's for sure. And, uh, you, you know, it's very true. I talk to my clients all the time about that. And you, you'd look at human nature and we spend a majority of our time either thinking about the past, you know, wishing we would have done something different or how bad or how good we had it in the good old days. Or we're yeah. looking towards the future. You know, what am I going to do tomorrow? Where am I going on vacation? Is my retirement planning in place? That uh, right. often we, we go through the day and we forget exactly what happened that day. You go to bed at night and you wonder, oh, what exactly did I do today? Yeah, and I think I think our animals, you know, they live without the negatives in life, so they live without regret. If they do something wrong, they're usually pretty silly things. You know, you left that loaf of bread out, so I ate it. Um, you know, I the door didn't close properly, so I snuck out. You know, these are not big issues in life, and I think they have that. I think you know, it's probably one of the reasons why it hurts so much when we lose these animals is because they found a way to get it right in such a short period of time. Yeah, and we spend thousands of dollars on therapy trying to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So, so, Nick, tell us a little bit then just about writing in general. Are you doing, other than the novels and things you're putting together, do you write on the side? Do you write for any other publications or any other types of uh, work that you do yeah. for Troyman? Yeah, I, I mean, I write a column for Bark Magazine, the uh, dog magazine. I've been writing a column for the last four or five years, I think, now. And I do, you know, I, I'm actually at work right now on a different uh, fiction project, a new fiction project that I've just sort of been hammering out with my agent that I'm going to start working on. But I do, as part of being an actual veterinarian, do do uh, write for textbooks and, uh, you know, actual medical writing, as well as sort of trying to be involved in uh, some of the sort of educational stuff for upcoming surgeons as, as they try to enter a career in veterinary surgery. So I, I, I kind of uh, spread myself uh, in all kinds of different directions, but I would say of all those things, the fiction writing takes up the most time because it's certainly the most uh, demanding of my time. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I mean, trying to wear different hats to write different types of stories and, and putting things together. And obviously, writing for uh, for magazines is much different than writing for textbooks, which is much different than writing a novel. Yeah, the textbook stuff is that's that's much more orderly, objective, formulaic, and that's to some extent a little easier. I, you know, I really like I like the fictional side of things because it's it's creative. It's you know, it's uh, it's it's entertaining for me and hopefully entertaining for the reader. So it's you know, I, I actually find it's almost like uh, solving a puzzle. Uh, you know, I get to solve these medical puzzles or try to solve them day in day out, and it's I'm trying to find a editing writing puzzle and solving that. Yeah, and I think that um, from uh, writing the different types of structure, you you had to wear those different hats in order to get the message out. But I would say the let me ask you this from a, from a novel standpoint, from writing uh, the fiction pieces, do you have as a writer a set regimen that you try to follow, whether it's X number of pages a day or a certain time of the day that you no. do your writing, or is it just when it's flowing, it's flowing? Yeah, no, I, I mean the only thing I will tell you is that I always write an outline for a book first. And it could start out as like a three-page outline, and then it will turn into a sort of 30-page outline, and then I'll go, okay, I'm good to go, and I'll actually start writing it, and that will then turn into 300-odd pages. And, and, you know, I'll come to the end of this book and go, oh, that's it, I'm done. And, of course, I've only just begun because then I've got to start all the edits and working out what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, it's, it's just this ongoing process. By the time I get to choosing titles and book covers, I'm totally exhausted and can't even remember what I wrote in the first place. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you also, and the fact that, obviously, uh, your great book, uh, Patron Saint of Lost Dogs, as you said, this book, Doggone Back Soon, is the sequel to it. Did you have to actually go back and reread your own book to <laughs> refresh yourself? Yeah, to some extent I do. I need to, yeah, but sometimes, yes, I'll do that and I'll go and uh, just make sure that uh, this can sort of follow along and fits in. But I already, I was so caught up in that sort of story and character that it it kind of kept going. And I, I like the idea of, you know, when you come to the second book in a series, it does pick up where you left off because, you know, if you are a fan of the series, that's where you want to start. But when you're writing it, you've also got to make sure that I know a lot of people just picked up this book and they then go back to the first one. So it has to stand on its own. So you've got to try and find a way that doesn't bore the reader who already knows the backstory and yet keeps everybody entertained. Exactly. So keeping it fresh and keeping it, but yet at the same time, keeping it suited for the people that are following the book and following the characters. Yeah. I think that's part of, you know, part of the luxury of, of talking about animals is that, you know, as soon as you get into it, a whole new case, people are into it. You know, I, this, this second book starts out with a story of a dog who has overdosed on brownies. And, of course, they've, they're not just chocolate brownies. They've been laced <laughs> with something else. And, you know, instantly this is a whole new story and away we go. Yeah, I always find it fascinating, you know, when I, I hear this time and time again, because the process of writing fiction, the, the writing aspect of it, it to me at least, uh, whether we're talking fiction or actually nonfiction, that process is fairly straightforward. As you said, you put together the outline, and then you expand the outline, and you get going on it. Next thing you know, you get it written. But it's all the back-end things that follow behind that that uh, is a heck of a lot more work and a heck of a lot more time-consuming, in my opinion. Wouldn't you agree? 
Yeah, and I think, you know, you want people to believe, you know, it's like in the town itself. They want to be able to see this town. They want to be able to walk its streets and know that, you know, if you turn right at the gas station, there's going to be a diner or, or whatever. And and so you do have to kind of have this world created in which everything is going to fit together and uh, and be believable. And at the same time, you know, I'm trying to create these, you know, there's a lot of medical mysteries in this. There's a lot of stories where we all want to know what became of that obese cat, what became of the neurotic collie. We want to find out. And these things have all got to come together, not just the animals, but also the people who own them, because part of Cyrus's appeal is he's not really just fixing the animals. He's also trying to sort out some of the people and the, uh, the reasons why they, these animals have problems. That's right. So you got to put your psychology hat on as well, because most of the problems <laughs> probably come from the people more so than the animals themselves. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes. I mean, I mean, it's not that they, you know, in the real world, no, they don't. But at the same time, there's many times when I'll be talking, and there's a backstory here. There's, you know, why do I want to do this animal surgery, even though the chances are slim, because I'm worried about living alone, I'm worried about saying goodbye, I'm worried about a future without a certain animal in my life. And you look in and say, okay, what's the reason for this? Did you lose a husband or a wife? Did you have the kids moved away? Are you lonely? You know, there's a lot of other things that we don't find out. And again, in the way I'm able to write now, I can inject what's missing for me professionally into a story that makes more sense now that you know why someone is motivated to do something for their animal. Exactly. That makes sense. Well, Nick, after our uh, listeners pick up a copy of Dog Gone Back Soon and they read the wonderful wealth of fun and humor and uh, interest and intrigue and all the wonderful things you piled into the book, what would you hope they uh, walk away with? What would be the one thing they'd want to walk away with? I think a sense that everybody has a second chance. It doesn't matter whether you are a dog or a human or a cat or whatever. Give everyone a second chance because they'll probably earn that second chance and uh, give you uh, a lot of a lot back in return. There you go. A good message. All right, everybody, uh, go out and pick up a copy of Dog On Back Soon, Nick Trout's latest, greatest book. Nick, where can people find the book and find out more about you and what's going on in your world? Yeah, so uh, the book's out there in all good bookstores. You can get it online as well. It's available as an ebook. It's an audio book, large print. So it's available widely, and you can find out more at www.nicktrout.com. All right, wonderful. So everybody, uh, check Nick's site out. Keep in touch with him, what's going on in his world, and the latest, greatest books and uh, and things that he's doing. And definitely pick up a copy. Uh, the name of the book, once again, is Dog Gone Back Soon by Nick Trout. Nick, it's wonderful talking to you again. Congratulations on the, the wonderful book. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again uh, somewhere down the road when the next one comes out. Thanks, Tim. That was great. All right, take care now. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. also want to thank, once again, uh, Dr. Nick Trout for coming on board with us today. Uh, book is doggone back soon. Everybody uh, pick up a great book there and uh, support Nick and the cause and help these animals and have some fun at the same time. So thanks to Nick Trout for being on the show today. Thanks to our sponsors and producers for putting on the show and making everything possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can go to PetLifeRadio.com. 
and click on my icon, the Animal Rights Show, and listen to all the wonderful shows on there. And while you're at it, check out all the other wonderful hosts and their great shows. There's a plethora of great entertainment, and you can find it all on PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions for me or comments or ideas for the show, please email me. You can email me at tim at PetLifeRadio.com. That's tim at PetLifeRadio.com. And I'll be glad to answer your questions, uh, entertain your comments, bring on the people you want to hear from most onto the show. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, an article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.